podcast, we talked about the, uh, the pivotal moment when, I think it was in our sulfur one, when we talked about the, um, the first miracle drug, which was sulfinamide, right? yeah. the discovery of sulfur, and how the serendipity of when one of the president's sons was, um, had an infection, was dying. Um, who was that? Which president <laughs> was that? Calvin Calvin. How Calvin could you forget it? <laughs> only, yeah, the guy who no one knows anything about. How did he not make it on Mount Rushmore? I think it was tennis, right? <laughs> tennis is extremely it's, dangerous. Do I have to tell sport. the story again? Yeah. His kid was playing tennis and got a blister. Yep. And almost died or did die from it. No, okay. he was he nearly died. Yeah, Prontosil saved him maybe. Yeah, and they got a and they got um they were able to get him like some of the earliest compound or the sulfur compound and miraculously cured him and then Winston Churchill also saved his life when he was after meeting with Stalin in uh and the allied power Stalin and Eisenhower in Egypt and he was flying out deathly sick with pneumonia and sulfur saved him so those two things really caught the public's imagination and took off you know with uh, with the um adoption and the demand for these miracle drugs which you know, ultimately ended up being our antibiotics, mm-hmm. medicinal chemistry. Well, also a, a strange phenomenon happened with Dwight Eisenhower. Now, Dwight was the leader, you know, of the um, of all the Allied armies in the European theater and um, defeated the, the Nazis, you know. And um, he, when he returned home, of course, victorious and and um, and a you know tremendous. Accomplishments. He went on to become president, and uh, but poor old Dwight, you know, he was the he was the he was the greatest commander, maybe uh, you know of all. But he had a weak ticker, and in fact, he died in 1969 after seven. He had had seven different heart attacks. Whoa! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven of them. Got through six of them. He he got through six and. (laughs) Pretty good. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. He's he was almost cat-like. <laughs> he was nearly there. He was like, we'll do the math on it. He was like eighty-three percent of the way there. <laughs> but anyway, Dwight tipped over, you know, with the big one, like boom, and um, and he had had a lot of um, doctoring because the first heart attack was in nineteen fifty-five, so it was more than ten mm. years, and he and dispersed in those ten years. He had had you know seven heart attacks and. He had the best care, of, as you could imagine, you know, president and one of the most famous people in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but the problem with, uh, you know, or at least what didn't help is they, is they put him on a real low-carb diet and removed all saturated, all animal fats. High-carb diet. All butter on a real high-carb diet. Excuse yeah, me. low fat? Yeah, no fat. Okay. Like zero Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Zero butter. Zero. You know, real low meat, and um, and so that certainly didn't help his condition at all. You know. Plus, he was thinking of the misery of having to eat like that for ten years. (laughs) Poor bastard. After a after a handful of heart attacks, you'd probably kind of be regretting coming back. Maybe after each one, you you know you're going to go through it again in five months. Yeah, well, I suspect his doctor said, no, you just stick with this real high-carb diet and no meat. And so you'll, you'll he, be fine. they gave him dietary shift after he started having... Yeah, after his first heart attack. He was treated by a cardiologist, a famous one from um, Massachusetts General Hospital. His name okay. is Paul White. 
And um, so the plot thickens. Yeah, well, the clot thickens, rather. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. How clever nice. is that? You rehearsed <laughs> that. should that, be a right? book. you damn right. <laughs> I think someone beat me to it. Wait, so what years was this? This is in 1955. Okay. And um, So and this is kind of the wave of... Yeah, Ansel. This high carb, low fat, Ansel Keys. Yeah, it was movement. just right at the start of it. So, this is why I bring it up because it's timing's everything, you know? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's really a strange situation we're in today where, where we've been 60 years, we've been sold this um, fantasy, as it turns out. But we've been sold um, that, you know, heart, heart disease or cardiovascular disease, let's call it, or coronary heart disease but i think tonight we'll just call it cardiovascular disease has been um caused by um high cholesterol and and the high cholesterol is coming from eating saturated fats or animal red red meat and predominantly mm-hmm. so you eat meat with fat and that causes high cholesterol and that gives you a heart attack and it's really been that simple like slam dunk uh, hypothesis which came to be called the diet heart hypothesis so we'll talk about that tonight and um, how it's all gone wrong and how do you know it's all gone wrong because you just bloody look around if you're at the (laughs) airport or if you're at walmart or if you're at a gas station and you can and you can see how wrong it's gone because everyone's Mm. like you know 350 pounds (laughs) (laughs) you know and that's just the and that's just the and that's just the women <laughs> so, so yeah, it's gone wrong, <laughs> and everyone's in everyone's in athletic wear because they're all working their ass off at the gym, and they're all walking and running and doing their best to get fit, like they are working so damn hard at it. And uh, but you think back in the forties and fifties, no one was at the freaking gym, but now we're all at the gym and we're all three hundred and twenty pounds. This is a anti-workout podcast. Yeah, like, <laughs> just because you don't like to run doesn't mean others can't. A confusing Dad. angle here. I think no, what no, you're I'm getting, getting it, though, to my point. Getting, get, to getting there very slowly and making a bunch of pit stops to, for unclear. Oh, but I, the point is, you don't like to run. Yeah. The point, just to, to frame it up, because I like to watch running. We kind of had our pre-discussion, but we're talking about the in general terms to bring it to a head. The um. Oh yeah. The. <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> I was getting there. <laughs> well, go. Okay, so it's not working because everyone's at the gym doing the hardest. Everyone's on a diet. Like every third month, someone's starting a new diet. They've all got protein shakes and low carb or, you know, a high carb diet. They've got rid of their meat. They've got meatless Fridays and meatless Mondays and. And, you know, and there, you can't find a tin of lard. You know, it used to be we have a Folgers coffee tin full of lard that we saved after we, you know, after we roasted the pig or, mm-hmm. the, or, the, or we grilled up uh, some steaks, you know, or chuck roast. Yeah. And that's where we did all our cooking with tallow and lard. So we got rid of that and we all got vegetable oil. We, we sucked down that like hundreds of pounds per person a year. And um, and we replaced all the meat with carbohydrates, and and now we're and now we've got an epidemic of diabetes. Yeah. You know, um, more than more than forty five, fifty million Americans have, are type two diabetes. You know, which comes from diet. And um, pre diabetes, I think you were telling me, Tommy. It's earlier. like another 
you can double that. Let's say that's double that. Yeah. And now you've got so hundred million. Half of the adult population in the U.S. is with some, some on their way to diabetes, diabetes if they're not already there. Yeah. And if you have pre-diabetes, you're you're just one train stop away from full-blown diabetes. So it's a it's a that's my point. It's a catastrophic disaster. But how the hell did we get there? And that's the this is the amazing story. So we're back to Dwight Eisenhower. Now Dwight Eisenhower. He he um, famously warned us of the military-industrial complex when he did his farewell speech. Remember when it, mm-hmm. when he finished his term as president, and did that ever come true, right? And um, but but what we've suffered from for sixty years, I would I would claim, is is a, a diet food diet farmer food industrial complex. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this is the remarkable story of how we got here. Sixty years later, mm-hmm. hundred and hundred and forty million Americans with some stage of diabetes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just unbelievable. Your point is spot on. That a lot of people today are everyone's doing some kind of mm-hmm. diet because mm-hmm. the things that we've been told maybe aren't working and everyone kind of feels it or senses it. They're not mm-hmm. feeling like they're in good shape. And so there's tons of these trendy diets that are out there. Back, I don't know, I can't say back in the day because we only have been a part of this, Jack and myself. But mm-hmm. like when you growing up, there wouldn't have been, no. diets wouldn't have really been probably kicked around as often, right? No, I can't ever remember. Um, What's the, anyone I can't remember the main, um, Atkins. Atkins, yeah. Is that the? That was a famous diet. That was a very low carb. Yeah, Atkins was on the right track. So that's kind of a keto one, right? Yeah, it's a keto diet. Do you know when that would have like that? Well, that caught on, I think, in the uh, maybe like two thousand and five. Oh, okay. So it's not back as far as I thought it was. No. So that still is this pretty yeah. recent. Okay. Yeah. But the yeah. uh, to your point of this complex, the you know the, it's all around us. It's you know there's mm. obviously like you guys will talk about. In detail, there's really strong science behind, you know, that that we have been steered wrong. But um, if you look at even today, that it's still going. The the government recommendations for diet. Um, the famously, it kind of went in certain circles online. But an example is that, you know, the according to the government uh, dietitian recommendations, that what was it? Lucky Charms are X percent or X how many times more healthy and recommended than. Uh, red meat and it's like anybody that has any sort of you know common sense should mm-hmm. be seeing how r- ridiculous that is but that's still the official accepted yeah. and pushed dietary plans that makes its way down into the general public like big sugar would be so pumped with that finding like, and probably yeah. are the ones that put that out you know like yeah, you behind never the believe scenes. this <laughs> like wait they said what <laughs> yeah yeah so there's, there's, we have this confluence of interest you know which has been driven by money of course, uh, the old adage, follow the mm-hmm. money, you know, it's a, it's a truism. And um, it's quite the journey, but, um, but it, the confluence is around pharmaceutical companies selling cholesterol-lowering drugs. Statins are the, are the standard, you know. It's like, you know, I don't know how many, what percentage of Americans that are above the age of 40 are on statins, but I bet it's more than 50%. Hmm. You know, yeah. So one a day, take your pill every morning or night, whatever, one a day. It's a trillion dollar, now there's been a trillion dollars worth of statins sold. 
Yeah. So like that's a that's a gravy train that pharmaceutical companies do not ever want to get let go of. Yeah. And now they're now they're uh, releasing there are new products that are non-statin but still aiming at low cholesterol. So the beauty of it of the simple narrative they set up was if cholesterol is is the is the bad guy um, and it's easy to measure well it actually mm-hmm. isn't easy to measure because the the um, analysis on it is like a has like a variation of 30 40%. So you go to three different hospitals in the same day and you'll get, and you might get 20 to 40% <laughs> variation of your cholesterol. But that doesn't matter cuz they're not really it doesn't matter. All they want is your is a number that they can put against a reference chart. Mm-hmm. And they can say, "Oh, you're at 180 or you're at 220." And that's see on the chart that's high. And yeah. so you need to get on Lipitor. And um and that's the doctor's job or the that he's done his job, you know. It's so easy. Take the blood, look on, look on the reference table and then sell you or you know, prescribe to you Lipitor. And um and yeah. the, the patient believes it to be true because that's all you've ever heard for 60 years is cholesterol will kill you. So get it lower is better. Everyone's <laughs> heard that. And and <laughs> here you've got a drug. And then the doctor says, come back in three months and we'll do a new blood test. And and I'm pretty sure this, that the, your cholesterol will be lower because of the statin. Sure enough, you go back and it will be lower because statins you know, just demolish cholesterol. I mean, mm-hmm. That's what they do, but here's the here's the little kicker: is that does it actually help your health, and does it actually help your you know your prospect for um, healthy, less cardio risk, uh, cardiovascular disease, or less you know um, all what they call all cause mortality, hit by a bus, I, cancer. I think that's yeah, that is maybe the main talking point for today is mm-hmm. we have made this jump that you know everyone thinks of cholesterol as bad mm-hmm. it's been talked about for 70 years now religiously and it's only been doubled down on consistently so it's reinforced everyone just kind of knows cholesterol bad um you know avoid it saturated fats lead to cholesterol all of that that second part is true fats for sure you know can upregulate the amount of cholesterol biosynthesis in the body but the jump from cholesterol to negative health outcomes is <laughs> not spurious. Yeah, that hasn't been documented nearly as well as we've been led to believe. And um, studies that claim it, this maybe is a good time to actually jump back to Ansel Keys and mm-hmm. and talk about the seven country study at the beginning. But um, yeah, it's kind of uh, been rooted in um, you know some studies that maybe can be and have been picked apart a little bit more recently, um, it's, it seems like the tide is maybe turning a little bit where there's some momentum on this, um, uh, that saturated fats aren't, uh, aren't actually uh, a, a negative, um, negative part of the diet, and cholesterol actually maybe not be as much of a concern as we've all been led to believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very good, very good. And why, you know, the, why the fairly interesting podcast is, is interested in this subject is, well, because it is interesting and it affects our lives, but it also affects our business, you know, of of um, raising food animals, you know, for great nutrition to help people become more healthy and strong, have better quality of life. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we confer, you know, we are firmly in the camp of um, eating meat, specifically beef, 
but mm-hmm. eating any animal meat and animal fat is is very 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 good for you and it's been a real tragedy that that the, they've been lowered from household meals and household people's diets over these decades to where our health is in, is in tatters you know we're we're in absolute shambles as a population and we would like to see that reversed you know more people eating more meat more fat more eggs more dairy will be a healthier population so that's why we we, we want to talk about it today and try and take some of the fear away mm-hmm. from you know eating um you know, a steak a day, as example. Mm-hmm. Um, at least. At least, yeah. 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 yeah, call out to Sean Baker. Yeah. 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 I think that, I think you're, oh, excuse me, just about threw the mic across the room. Um, Actually, we should pause there for a second oh, yeah. because Jack's, Jack's very excited because he's got his voice back. Oh, the, yeah. The parasite let go of the tongue, if you remember from last episode, it had a pretty firm grip. It's released itself. Jack swallowed it or spit it out. I don't know which way it went. And I am back. But now he's excited to be here and he's swatting his microphone. And I'm going to be talking a lot just because I can again. Um, <laughs> where was I? Uh, you're I just you're like busy hitting talk. your microphone. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to chat. No, um, oh, I was gonna, you were going to say we should maybe go back, which I agree we should, because one thing is I'm, I'm kind of the outsider here. I don't have the, the deep scientific knowledge of, that Tommy will you know, get into later and obviously dad with a career in this area. But um, what I can see kind of as an outsider looking in is, it's one thing to be, you know, told that we've been lied to, um, you know, and then it's a whole other thing to, to believe it and understand what that means. So I think you mentioned the seven country study, mm-hmm. but um, and I don't know if that's related, so this will be good for me to learn too. But the um, and Dad mentioned the collusion or the um, tampering by the pharmaceutical industry for the statins, but it does also trace back, you know, to like the sugar industry. Correct? Is yeah. that where we get into the seven country? So or is that unrelated? I think that's actually the root. So prior to pharma jumping on this and capitalizing it, um, the I th- there's a couple scientists that were paid off like some really minuscule amount of money, like fifty thousand bucks to um, to put out the guidelines following Ansel Keys, um, saying that fat is bad and um, carbs are what you should be replacing that fat with. And it was some again really sm- you can maybe look that up as I'm They're talking. They're from Jack, Harvard. The, yeah, it's some two authors from but Harvard. It was really small yeah, amount like of money, right? Ten thousand dollars. Yeah, and they to sell their souls. So they did it, and that who bought them off though? Uh, that was the the sugar industry. And were they um, with the American Heart? So is this that no. American Heart Association story? Because I know there's something there too. But sure, I don't know. Oh, sorry, the I don't know more detail besides that sugar industry lobbyists or something like that where the money came from to pay off these two scientists that had yeah. influence over what the new dietary guidelines were going to be. They were following Ansel Keys's data and, um, and yeah. riding that wave. And then, okay, now that allowed for cholesterol to be highlighted as the, you know, the thing to look the out culprit. for. And then pharma jumped on that. I, yeah. I think, I you think know. that's the sequence. Okay, here we go. This is uh, NPR 50 years ago in the 1960s. Sugar industry funded research that downplayed the risks of sugar and highlighted the hazards of fat, according to the newly published mm-hmm. article in JAMA Internal Medicine. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So that's yeah. from a high level, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. But it all started with um, Ansel Keys. We mentioned him, cardiologist um, from Cambridge University. But um, he, he was the man who dreamed up this hypothesis that. Um, cardiovascular disease was a big deal 
at the time in the 50s. Like it was an explosion. It was the number one killer. It was after the war. And you have to think that World War II had something to do with uh, the, ex the explosion of cardiovascular disease. Because especially in men and... and um, Strictly from a stress yeah, standpoint. Yeah, from stress. Yeah. Like it's absolutely fascinating, the stress aspect of of you know you people have commonly say you know like a colloquialism um you know don't don't have too much stress or don't stress too much you'll give yourself a heart attack yeah well that actually comes from a scientific basis you know there's an absolute pathway between uh psychological stress and you having the the big one yeah yeah and um well on that thing talking about what it was like during the war and maybe post-war, but was food a challenge in the... I don't even know. Like, were we... Were people... As in like, uh, was it easy to come by food, I guess? Was there luxury of choice of food and, and things like that? Or... Because when times get tight, you also default to carbs, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, they're um, cheap and plentiful. They're cheaper, yeah, and, and there's more of them. Yeah. And lower... Well, I think for income. sure the... um in, in the U.S. felt less of a pinch than, can you imagine, in Russia and yeah. Germany. Yeah, right. But we also were, you know, our biggest role in the early, yeah, early years of the war, the first three years of the war, the U.S. sat out. You know, we didn't enter the war till '43, mm -hmm. um, and the the Allied, the other powers had been fighting since '39, and um, or '42 is maybe when we entered the war. But um, but America was feeding and and funding and you know providing all the. Uh, you know, munitions and hardware to fight right. for the, the Brits and the Russians. And so so things were tighter. So there could mm -hmm. be a dire uh, relationship too. But I think there's there's definitely some psychological um, stress, you know, releasing cortisol, which is a powerful uh, hormone and an immune suppressant. And high cortisol um, um, levels circulating all the time, you know, I think they come out of the adrenal something axis pathway but anyway there that's um damaging to your vascular system especially mm -hmm. when it's chronic um we maybe talk about that a little more later but as one of the causes but anyway you come back to the heart disease was big and then dwight eisenhower in 55 had his first heart attack so it made it unbelievably sensationally big and then um and Ansel Keys had proposed a few years before that, he had proposed this hypothesis that cardiovascular disease was caused by um, saturated fat um, mm -hmm. driving up cholesterol. He did a couple of studies, and he, in his own studies, disproved the saturated fat piece. Like, it didn't matter how much saturated, it wasn't correlated. So then he just jumped to cholesterol, made it even more simple. But to be clear, it wasn't connected to cardiovascular disease the saturated right. fat not but right. saturated fat is very much collected or connected to the cholesterol yeah that's what he found right yeah 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 but so then he shortened his equation to be just the cholesterol equals um cardiovascular disease yeah but um but uh, you know the idea or the meme we've talked about memes before with richard dawkins concept of a meme being established but the meme was already established that you know fat from animals was part of the pathway, so it was difficult to get rid of it. And um, 
So now we have Ansel Keys. Then he did this. He did this. What's famously called the Seven Countries Study, which was the thing that really slammed home his hypothesis. The what became the Diet Hard Hypothesis. Now, the problem is the seven countries he selected were all they were handpicked. They weren't non-random. He cherry-picked them, and he left out. Uh, fifth, this became later uh, known later. At the time, no one knew about it. It was presented, uh, tied up in a bow, very nice and tidy. That, that within these seven countries, the lowest, the people with the lowest cholesterol levels had the best cardio health, and the people with high cholesterol had the worst cardio health. Mm-hmm. But and it, so it was so nice and clean. The story was so easy to follow, and um, but but it was all bullshit. He had he had falsified, or he had like he had he had um, he had excluded ones excluded. that he knew wouldn't fit that narrative, yeah, or maybe he, he had even observed didn't fit the narrative. Well, right? Yeah. What was he picking in those countries? Like, what was he seeking out that he knew would help his narrative? He was seeking countries that had a low cardiovascular disease, low heart attack, just overall. Overall, the, okay. And um, and then if they had any those with um, low cholesterol. And then he was seeking countries that had high cardiovascular disease with high cholesterol. Oh, okay. So he could draw that real nice distinction between, you know, low equals low and high mm-hmm. equals high. And so he wasn't, yeah. in, this, in this study, he wasn't necessarily connecting that meat and animal products are causing the high cholesterol. He's just no. saying high cholesterol equals... Right. Heart attack. And then, yeah. and then but people knowing, ask, where yeah. does the high cholesterol yeah. come from? And then and say, well, say, oh, it comes from well, eating. Saturated yep. fat or eating animals. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So it was very naughty. Here's some notes on it. Just But he left out 15 countries that didn't reveal any association between saturated fat and consumption and heart mortality. He only recorded, sampled 3.9% of the 12,000 participants for diet intake. <laughs> oh. That was only like thirty people per country, and then, and then in a number of countries, he only sampled them for one day, out of that whole mm. study period, <laughs> one day their diet for one day, and he took that as their diet, and then he also used the Greek uh, Orthodox Lent fasting diet, which was no meat and no butter and no um, cheese during the month of Lent, so that certainly was they were included. They were he included those. Yeah, yeah, and then he discarded Chile because they had high cardiovascular disease with low cholesterol, saturated fat. Yeah, it doesn't fit. And then he discarded <laughs> the Denmark, Sweden, Norway, and then famously what's called the French paradox. He discarded France as well because France famously the paradox is that you know they eat gallons of butter and cream and and fat. You know, think foie gras. Yeah. You know, fatty liver, mm-hmm. and um, and they have like the least you know cardiovascular disease of of any nation. Yeah, so you know, so it was easier a, to exclude them. Yeah, just yeah so it's that just one. like no, throw it's them out. Easy to leave out. the French out. Yeah, yeah. they don't mind. <laughs> so they did a reanalysis of his data in 1989 because this was published in 1957 or or in the late 50s, and um, and then they showed. Not saturated fats associated with cardiovascular disease, but rather sweets, sugar products, pastries yeah. were positively associated with cardiovascular disease. So the whole thing is just absolute 
fraudulent. So that's but 57. That data was sitting there. Exactly. But and 89 is when it got reanalyzed. So yeah. you can imagine the, the damage in well, those. It's already so entrenched. Two decades. Yeah. And it's not like it was reversed Three decades. right then. As we, yeah. So yeah. who who was Ansel Keys and why was his research? This he's is what we're saying. This kind, of set, this kind of set the stage for how it's a good everything else flowed. But why was he, he was so influen- the thought influential? Thought leader because he was first on this. Influential. Yeah, he was the first onto it, and then he was very like he had an incredible personality. You know, like an um, he was like a a real uh, driver. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess he was charismatic and he was so forceful, but he was also ruthless, you know, mm-hmm. like with anyone who disagreed with him, he would smear them and he'd kill. <laughs> <laughs> like charismatic and yeah. forceful is not what you want in a scientist. Yeah. You want, you want like, just I didn't know he neutral. killed all those scientists. Yeah. <laughs> but he was, and then he, his acolyte was this David um, or Dr. White, Paul White or Whatever his name, who was um, the cardiologist who Eisenhower, oh, you know, or they appointed him to look after Dwight Eisenhower. So that he was already a believer of Ansel Keys, you know, probably innocently mm-hmm. believed in the seven, you know, the data that Keys had, and and um, so that promoted Keys to the limelight. He even made the Got cover it. of like Time magazine, and <laughs> you know, as the man who was so, who had who came off the mountain carrying the tablet, you know, and chiseled into the tablet weren't the Ten Commandments, but was the the equation of, you know, cholesterol will kill you. You know, <laughs> yeah. that was in his tablet. So yeah. he was yeah. a celebrity too. So he became like he a became celebrity, became yeah. Very famous. Okay. Yeah. And then he you know, politically he's a bit like Fauci, you know, how the hell did Fauci get to be where he's at and become running the world's policy on COVID, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. The guy could, you know, but that's a different talk, but, um, that is, but he's so political Fauci, you know, and he's tied into the NIH and the funding and he's tied into the who, and he's tied into the CDC. Well, Ansel Keys was his pre- predecessor in, in, in that sort of power movement. He knew how to position himself well yeah. to stay in power. Yeah, he got in with the AHA, American Heart Association. He got mm-hmm. in with the NIH, National Institutes of Health. So he wasn't exactly unbiased, is what you're. No, no, he was a so, man on yeah. a mission. Yeah. And, um, okay. And then he also, you know, he convinced the USDA um, to come out with our first for the first time. You know, we came out with our food recommendations for Americans, mm-hmm. and um, and that and. And each iteration of that, since since Ansel Keys got this whole thing going, has been to reduce, you know, saturated fat from animal fat, and eat less red meat. And so, you know, his legacy lives on. I mean, you know, he was quite the salesman. <laughs> um, I was looking up something there because they. So sorry, they they keep driving down like across years how much yeah. fat we should. Consume yeah. it, it. Seems like it always like started out. I don't know a pretty normal diet, pretty normal Used food. Like be, thirty, might be thirty percent, right? Yeah. And then it's twenty. Now it's sure enough. It's it might be saturated fats need to make up less than ten percent of your total fat mm-hmm. intake mm-hmm. Um, and things like that. But our cellular makeup doesn't reflect. I think you, that's maybe one way to think about diet is okay. What are our cells actually comprised of? Maybe we should eat to. Fill what we need, and 
carbs aren't an essential nutrient. Um, they are, you can, you know, they provide energy very much so, but you can live without carbs. That's, yeah. they're not required in the diet by any means. There's no, no biological, biological requirement for those, but fat there certainly is. And part of that is because of what we're made of needs fat. It's part of our cells. It might be maybe 20% of our cells are fat. I don't know exactly what that mm-hmm. number is, but I know it's more than, more than the 8% that we're told to eat. Um, yeah. That's- so it's kind of, uh, gotten really far where it's actually when you take a step back it isn't all that hard to see why the the advice that we've been getting may not be actually optimal mm-hmm. well that's yeah i think we should talk about that now as a you know kind of the outsider again I, okay i get it where we've been there's been some shoddy research and you know uh, and uh bot studies and, and anyway that's paved the way to bad food policy and dietary recommendations um you know you two it might be interesting for listeners to hear the flip side. You know, there is, it's not just anecdotal that you go to Walmart and you see the, like dad was saying, and it's just around us, which it is, you know, you can't, Mm -hmm. you know, that doesn't mean nothing either, but there's also some really heavy professional, you know, science behind that eating red meat, eating animal products and having high cholesterol is good or is not, is definitely not bad. Um, Maybe it's now be good to kind of talk about some of that science that you know you've walked yeah. me through in the past, but um, I can't repeat because I'm just not smart enough. The that cholesterol isn't actually all that much of a concern. Well, yeah. maybe not at all. You know, it might be zero concern. That's still being ironed out, but that's a lot different than it's everything to be concerned yeah. about. Um, talk about that. I mean, why? Because so, everyone's been told that cholesterol yeah, right. is, so is the thing to point at. It's talked about so much. First of all, I think. People don't know what cholesterol is. Yeah. I didn't. I mean, you hear the term, but so what is cholesterol? Yeah, it's a, that's a, a good place to start and maybe even talking about tying that into red meat. And so red meat, we know, contains um, saturated fats. It's not all saturated fat, even though that might be, some, that might be something we want to talk about as well. Um, everything's a matrix, but there's more saturated fat than unsaturated in, in red meat. So it gets the bill of, okay, that's a saturated fat containing product. Saturated fats, all fats, but especially saturated fats, do indeed up your cholesterol. There's an enzyme that's required for the synthesis of cholesterol in the body, and saturated fats upregulate that enzyme more than polyunsaturated or monounsaturated fats do. So there is a rise of saturated fats to cholesterol. But then is cholesterol being high, a, is, that a, is that a bad thing? Well, well, no, we need cholesterol. There's so many things that it does. It's a completely critical um, and essential uh, complex of nutrients in the body. Um, so it's basically, you know, part of it is a, it's the precursor to a lot of our steroid hormones. So cholesterol would, and uh, our sex hormones. And so hormones are signaling molecules throughout the body that kind of keep our metabolism and other things in balance. Um, cholesterol's critical for that. Cholesterol winds its way into our cell walls and keeps um, some of our cell membranes, cell membranes integrity, the solubility and their their structures in, intact. Um, I think cholesterol is like twenty five percent of our total reservoirs in our brain. It's needed for memory and optimal thinking and high performing, um, you know, cognitive function is uh, is related to cholesterol because uh, that's a big sink for it. Um, but it's also needed for fat absorption. So it kind of goes both ways. You eat more fat, you get more cholesterol, but you also need cholesterol to bring in that fat. And then if you tie in the importance of bringing in fat 
now we've opened the door to, okay, that's how a lot of our soluble vitamins get brought into the body and, or the fat soluble vitamins. So we need those. And so there's other things that come from improving, um, your, that, that's a long way of saying our body makes a lot of the cholesterol we need. Sure. So even if we didn't eat it, we're going to make it because we need it. That's sure. just how important like it is to daily functions. We need it every functions. second, every minute. We need it every, yes. And like the, cells are turning over. We're creating, you yep. know, repairing tissue. Like it's needed by the second, by the minute. We're creating cholesterol, synthesizing it in our liver if we don't have it already in, you know, yep. through dietary means. So it's absolutely and if, critical. And if you're to take... You know, if you vitamin D, we're, we hear about that all the time um, to synthesize vitamin D from taking it off the skin and making it into the active form. You need, um, you know, cholesterol is a part of that too. And so that's been, vitamin D is a hor- actually a hormone, I think, mm-hmm. rather than acts like a hormone. Acts yeah. like a hormone. So yeah. And, it. you know, can get there from cholesterol is mm-hmm. needed for that process. So your testosterone, your estrogen, your cortisol, mm-hmm. your corticosteroids, all of these hormones, mm-hmm. insulin. Yep. They insulin. all got a, they all rely on cholesterol. Yep. And cholesterol, I've heard you say that's just a kind of a catch all general term in a sense, right? Or there's different types of it. You hear LDL and so HDL, cholesterol right? is just Good cholesterol, point. but we use other things to call it cholesterol. And okay. so anyone that goes to the doctor and gets their blood drawn, you'll hundred percent on your panel will have triglycerides, total cholesterol, HDL and LDL. Okay. And, and what HDL are, high density lipoprotein and LDL low density lipoprotein. So in the name, if they would spell it out, it's too long or they want to hide that. LDL equals cholesterol, HDL equals cholesterol is what we're told. Yeah. That's they're kind of synonymous that they're both cholesterol, but there's a lot of other things that are involved with these lipoproteins that's part of it is cholesterol but that's not all it is either and so there's some nuance when talking about these different forms of lipoproteins um, based off their density and what they do in the body but cholesterol would be it's kind of erroneously chalked up as ldl is cholesterol yeah it's just it's just a part of ldl it's bad language like i that dr malcolm kendrick who i've been reading his book, The the Clot Thickens, you know, it's a great book that people should, I think everyone should read, but he makes the good analogy between lipoproteins the, um, and cholesterol and how the language is so sloppy that even physicians are calling, you know, lipoproteins cholesterol, but they're not. They're totally yeah. different complexes. <laughs> he said it's akin to being calling a car a human <laughs> Just because cars carry humans around, we don't call a car a human. Yeah, and lipoproteins carry cholesterol around, mm-hmm. but you know, but yet we're, but we're calling them cholesterol. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so we should be very clear on that. Yep, they are a carrier system for for carrying cholesterol and fatty acids and immune compounds and many different other factors that I I don't even know about, but they're very complicated. Yeah, their main thing, like LDL, well, I don't even know if we've said that yet. LDL, if anyone listening has heard of LDL, they've likely been told that LDL is bad cholesterol and HDL is good cholesterol. Mm -hmm. So back to Dad's point at the beginning, this really simplistic check the box sort of um, story is, that's desirable, but that's just not 
there's the the biological body there's takes way bad. more nuance than that to know what causes good and bad mm-hmm. and um but yeah ldl and hdl their primary mechanisms aren't necessarily even all that much cholesterol related though they're shuttles for um lipoproteins in general are shuttles for delivering nutrients to our bodies specifically triglycerides that would be a big part of what they what do are triglycerides so that's the be fat more or less fatty okay. acids so it's a glycerol carbon chain backbone with these fatty acids that are attached to it three that's of them. it's three of them and that's the predominant form of storing fat in the body okay so say you take you know you, you eat some fat that's going to get brought into your um, small intestine and absorbed there um, as more or less individual fatty acids there will be some glycerol with one fatty acid still attached that can get absorbed, but more or less of the three triglyceride fatty acids, they'll get brought in, and then they're in this enterocyte now, which is the cell on the small intestine, and in there they get repackaged back into the form of a triglyceride because that's ultimately going to be its storage form in the body. It's really an efficient way of packing them in, and this is a really high-energy compound. Fat's the most energy-dense compound you can have in the body, so these triglycerides basically are the cream of the crop for energy. Mm. And so they're packaged into these lipoproteins. This chylomicron is the big one. Um, that's going to shuttle it to the peripheral tissue that enters the circulation into the through the lymph system. And now you're bringing your fat to areas that need the energy or to store that energy. So it shuttles it all around to all the different, um, you know, your peripheral muscle tissues and adipose tissues and things like that, and then comes back to the liver, and um, and then that's where it can be repackaged again and goes back out, does another round of drop-offs. You can kind of think of it mm. as like a, maybe like a school bus or something where each stop of the way it lets off a few kids, and that's the fat that's hopping off. And so as you drop off more kids, the percentage of bus to school to kid changes and that's yeah. why the density is changing because fats are pretty not dense and hmm. the protein portion that's left um, and the cholesterol are a little bit more dense so high density means less fat the proportion and they're smaller they would contain more um, more protein is really what's actually making it up because i believe ldl actually has more cholesterol than hdl in it but nonetheless i digress that's kind of um I don't know why was I even talking. About? <laughs> I don't know why I was talking about that now. I could say that. I don't, why we need? <laughs> I certainly don't know. No, I. I well, anyway, I, I, I asked you. This is a dumb thing, but when uh-huh. dumb to you guys, but maybe not for the general. When you say fat, you know, what do you? It, the lay person is thinking about you know fat on the steak or fat on their body, body probably. Mm-hmm. But that's not what you're talking about. It is. I mean, that's adipose. Okay. You know, adipose is like the the storage cell for fat. Okay. And so fat globules, I don't know. It's it. The, you're right. The lingo when you see someone's fat. Okay. But when you're talking about moving around the body and dropping fatty off, acids. Yeah, it's fatty, so acids, fatty acids. It's what side. would. That's what I was trying to. Yep. 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 So it almost kind of more or less be like um, you hear you think about starch and carbohydrates. They're an assembly of glucose. Yep. Um, maybe fat would be an assembly of fatty acids. I don't know if that's a fair thing okay. to say or not, but that's I kind think, of... I think that's a good way to think about it. It's confusing because mm-hmm. it's the same word. Yeah. yeah. People associate... It is. You know, it's like what we had talked about pre- before, but the whole, mm-hmm. you know, you are what you eat. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's another just complete, well, wrong, but anytime but things are It's also easy that, to visualize, right? So if you correct. ask someone, should I eat fat? Well, they can easily see what fat looks like. It kind of jiggles, exactly. a little bit sticky maybe. And you think about clogging your arteries or clots in arteries and they can it's pretty click easy for them to think about 
okay, if I eat that, that's going to end up in my bloodstream and that's going to be really hard to flow in there. And then there's going to be plaque that builds up. Correct. Or even just not even that thinking that far, but fat on the exterior of your body. Yeah. You know, it's this fat on the steak was the exterior fat. Yeah. Um, but, um, I think anytime there's these overly simplistic, you know, bumper sticker type explanation, like LDL equals bad, HDL yeah. equals good. You are what you eat. Like fat will it's clog never, your it's arteries. It's never that simple. Yeah, that's another classic. Correct. Yeah, but that's a good one to think about because back to selling this whole diet heart hypothesis, you can see how compelling these simple stories are. Because to your point, you know, whenever you're work scraping fat that's left off a plate or doing the dishes, and you get this fat residue, it's like sticky and gunky and. And you're like, damn, you could easily see why that's clogging my arteries if yeah. I eat that. Right. But, so that but we're missing the whole step of like of um absorption and, and um breaking down compounds and transporting them and yeah. and um and then reconstituting them, you know, we're missing that. We don't it's not like you eat that the steak off the the fat off the edge of the steak and that's what that's what floats directly through your veins, you yeah, know, or through your arteries. Case, that would be bad. <laughs> yeah, that'd be really bad. Our so, body but, stops that. So you can see how is how simplistic the cartoon is to sell mm-hmm. this problem. Mm-hmm. And um, so so that's the deal. But these um lipoproteins, uh, just to mention a little on those is because fat. Back to the residue when you're washing the dishes or whatever, and you got the fat still left in the bottom of the sink is because it's. You know, it doesn't mix with water. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's hydrophilic, phobic, and hydrophobic, hates yep. water. Yeah, know. and so sorry, thank you. So you can't transport fat in the blood because it's hydrophobic. It won't 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 be transported. Won't be solubilized in water. So that's why we have these lipoproteins that put the fat inside them and cholesterol in there and give it some sort of matrix layer um, and that that allows it to be soluble in the blood and then mm-hmm. transport so that's why we we package them up in these little vehicles mm-hmm. these little boats that are full of of um, fat and cholesterol and other nutrients and they float around in the in the, in the blood and then drop mm. it off at the different sites is a good way to think about yeah. it and even from an absorption standpoint it's the same sort of thing too mm-hmm. uh, you'd be familiar with bile right you've heard yeah. of bile yeah. like everyone would know what comes from what your gallbladder yeah is that right or from your stored there stored synthesized in, in the liver though and okay. so these bile salts the precursor for those is cholesterol okay. and uh, but the main a main purpose the main purpose of bile bile salts is for lipid absorption it's because hmm. they do the exact thing that you were talking about dad of the polarity issue and makes fat which is hydrophobic it kind of surrounds it with a hydrophilic outside allows mm-hmm. that to be brought in in these things called micelles then they can be absorbed can we um, we'll jump around a lot because there's, there's lots to talk about i'm sure but mm-hmm. um to kind of bring it back to the the big picture of okay what do we want people to get out of this that it's healthy to eat beef whatever eggs mm-hmm. meat animal products um can we talk about the you know the flip side what has been sold to us like and then what what that actually aka sugar and carbs and mm-hmm. um you know processed foods and all of these things that are leading and leading the way to the issues we're having um how those by comparison interact in the body we've talked about high cholesterol and i think we can go back into it but the general takeaway right now is okay it's not to be worried about it's actually not causing the issues 
what if we're still seeing these rates of cardiovascular and, and overall health issues, what in these other diets is causing that? Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk about to start it off maybe because I didn't know this, but um, uh, carbs and sugar, the and glucose, the yep. connection there. Yep. Okay. So yeah, no, I think that's a good spot to to go with this. Um, so carbohydrates, we'd be familiar with that. Um, they're just complex sugars. Sugar, which we would all know about and can think about sugar pretty easily, but what um, that's like a disaccharide, yep. And so glucose would be a subunit. That would be a main subunit of a lot of, um, of sugar or of carbohydrates. So fiber, we think about fiber, that's carbohydrate. We think about starch, that's carbohydrate. They're just two different types and two different forms, and the, the bond between these subunits, these six carbon subunits that make them up, glucose is makes them different and that's why we can't we can't we don't have the enzymes to break down like a fiber carbohydrate necessarily but a ruminant does because of the bugs in the stomach we've talked about that mm-hmm. in past ones but let's say we eat you know a lot of um bread readily available carbs like bread or, or rice, rice or potato um, yeah potato anything like that these are quite readily available and um we they're on this glycemic scale so the ability to influence blood glucose level. Um, so quicker available, the more glycemic in general is kind of how that works. But um, yeah, so glucose makes up, they're tied together and they just make up longer chains of carbons that end up being a carbohydrate. So carbohydrate when it's broken down is sugar. Okay. And so if you eat sugar, it's just a faster way of getting there because this is maybe an important point is that and it back back to the fat. You don't eat a glob of fat, and that's what ends up entering your body. Yep. Everything gets broken down almost to its most simplest form, or the um, you know its subunit. And so, if you eat a carbohydrate, it ha- it's broken down. Basically, let's just say all it, for all intents and purposes, it, it needs to be glucose before it can be brought into the cell into sure. the body. If you eat straight sugar, which is a like disaccharide, sugar. it only has two. That it only has one bond. It needs to split. Now that's ready to come in. So sugar would raise your blood glucose levels faster than say like a more complex carbohydrate but the overall subunits of all of it is the same it's just glucoses or glucose and fructose or so that would be why like you get a kids get a sugar rush of yeah. burst of energy you don't get so it if you eat bread necessarily correct. but you do if you eat a sour it's patch kids released so quickly and yep. it is energy yep okay. but it all is this um the you know, if you get that afternoon drowsiness after if you had pasta for lunch, you're going to be sleeping at your desk at three. It's um, this it follows the same thing. You have this huge surge and then a decline on blood sugar if your insulin's working correctly. Mm-hmm. So that's maybe where this needs to head um, and, and with this talk a little bit is that these, you know, the main precursor for really any metabolic syndrome, any cardiovascular disease. Um, and just a lot of, well, diabetes as well, obviously, um, is insulin resistance and carbs are, you know, that, that is what would influence insulin sensitivity and insulin secretion. Um, maybe do we want to talk about insulin? Yeah. Um, about kind of what insulin is and what it does. So it's, it's a hormone like we talked about at the beginning. Um, and it's the most anabolic hormone in the body. It's, it's job is to conserve and store. And so when things are good, you know, think back to when food maybe was harder to come by or um, evolutionary things would have allowed animals that are able to deposit excess and save it for later would have an advantage. Insulin was, you know, is a big part of that. It encourages 
anabolism, anabolic, and then the opposite of that is catabolism, catabolic. The balance of those two is metabolism. And so insulin's the anabolic part of that where it wants you to store things. And so if excess, um, so let's say we eat a thing of Sour Patch Kids. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a bunch of sugar, glucose. Now you've got blood glucose in the body and your blood glucose is the, if things are working well, it's really hard to change that. It has a very minute, um, minute range where it's allowed to move within reason. And if it gets outside of that, it's brought back into its ideal range really quickly. The reason is because of insulin. And so let's say you have too much sugar in the, in the bloodstream um, or you eat a meal. You're then going to, the, the pancreas will realize that there's a bunch of glucose floating around. It has these receptors for glucose on the pancreas. These beta cells in the pancreas are what secrete the insulin. So, okay, it's detecting there's a lot of glucose from a meal. Now let's put that away for storage because we don't need it right now in the blood. Insulin goes out, and now let's say insulin interacts with your muscle cells out in the tissue or in the peripheral um, circulation. It will then move a um, glucose receptor to the cell wall. It now is out there. Let's think about them. They, they, they're stored inside. It's like a turtle coming into its shell. Like it tucks its head in there. But when there's glucose in circulation, insulin is the thing that tells that head to pop out and grab what's in circulation. So now the these receptors peek their way into the open area of the blood that's being circulated. They now grab the glucose and then they'll pull that back in. And then glycogen is our storage form in muscle cells or skeletal muscle of glucose. And so let's say if you're going for a, you're working out or you're going for a run or something like that, you know, you'll you you burn your glycogen first. It's the most readily available energy, but it's um it also leads to you get the burn, the lactic mm-hmm. acid. And so that's a it's a whole different scenario, but point being that goes first. But once those are satisfied, our long-term storage of energy is fat and is adipose. And so then insulin upregulates the amount of Glucose converts that into through fatty acid synthesis. That can then be stored in your adipocytes throughout the body. And so now you've captured all of that excess energy that was in circulation. You've effectively lowered your blood glucose back to healthy levels, but it took insulin to do that. Okay, so are we good there? Yeah. And so now let's flash forward a second to what does it mean to be insulin resistant or not optimized sensitivity on insulin, it means that, okay, let's say it took one unit of insulin to remove one unit of glucose. If you keep exposing the body to too much glucose, it leads to these receptors being desensitized by insulin. Mm. And so now it takes more insulin to get that same reaction of removing your glucose. Mm. And this is the cascade that ultimately leads to diabetes type 2. It's called beta cell dysfunction. When you finally get to type 2 diabetes, it means you no longer are producing insulin. The beta cell in the pancreas produces your insulin. It's just done. But there's this, I was just looking at a paper today. There's a study that showed 13 years prior to diabetes being realized, insulin resistance popped its head up. And so if you want to have anything Mm. meaningful about monitoring your health and your metabolic outlook, it probably starts it well, most certainly does start with insulin resistance um, mm. and, and that focusing on that and carbohydrates have a really, really direct influence on um, on insulin huh. because that's so its the job. Receptors that, just it's insulin doing its job. Getting told to yeah. pop out over and over so they start yeah, requiring like a, a larger signal yep. to, before they, and then they just eventually 
They get desensitized. Yeah. They get desensitized, and so, so they then stop. They basically just get yeah fatigued, mm-hmm. and they're like bugger. And they stop, and I've had enough. <laughs> and so, does our body stop producing insulin also, or just the receptors stop? Um, so it keeps responding. it it the it takes. So it's a little bit confusing because for insulin to interact with a cell, it also has to have a receptor. And so the receptor, so this insulin receptor substrate, which moves the insulin receptor to the cell wall to interact with the insulin, which then sends the cascade to move the glucose receptor to the cell wall to pull in the glucose. The first part of that is what becomes desensitized, where that insulin receptor substrate stops telling the insulin receptor to go to the cell wall. Therefore, you effectively don't get glucose pulled into the cell. In order to get it, they're like, okay, it missed it on this one. Let's throw out more. One of them's got to hit. And, and it so, works for a while. That's the yeah, point. And that's right. why yeah. in diabetes, they inject you know, synthetic insulin yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. directly into your, into your muscle, I mean, into your circulation every day. You, know, you have to have an injection of it like, but to, yeah. yep. to make up for the, the lack of it. Well, that's, maybe that's type 1 diabetes, but the same point but holds it's, true. And once once type two gets to a certain point, your beta cell like stops that. producing, producing insulin. It. Like that's where your insulin's coming from. Um, it shuts down because it's been overworked for too long. Well, there's there's there's, there's several interesting things here to what you've said, Tommy. Like tremendous. Um, one of them occurs to me is that uh, um, you know carbohydrates and sugar drive this whole thing. Um, eating meat and fat don't drive it. Um, don't drive this insulin um, resistance metabolic syndrome. So, like that in its, of itself should be enough for people to say, okay, I got to eat more meat and eggs, you know, mm-hmm. and less um, bread and rice and pancakes, you know. Yeah. And um, you also mentioned another practical thing, which was um, the speed of glucose entering your blood. Like table sugar is uh, half glucose and half. Sucrose. It's, so it's, it's, it's half sucrose. Fructose, yeah. I think. So it's fructose. Yeah. So it's half and half. It's already half glucose. Yeah. Table sugar. So no wonder it goes in pretty damn fast. Yeah. So you get that rush when you eat M and M's or you eat table sugar, um, and then you eat. You know, you've been told, well, eat some whole grain breads versus like Wonder Bread yep. or flour. Pancakes would also have a very quick entry because they've been. The flour has been really refined, and can, it'll it'll digest and convert to glucose pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Whole grains, so of course, now you got to break down their the 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 fiber around mm-hmm. the carbohydrate before you get to it, sort of thing. So you can imagine it's a little bit slower release of the glucose or mm-hmm. whatever. So these are interesting things. But um, then the second thing is just the total amount. Well, the third thing is the total amount. Imagine if you're eating, you know, pounds or a kilo a day of, of um, wheat, flour, processed grains, carbohydrates, and sugar, right? And think mm-hmm. how much sugar, like every food label, processed foods, you know. If you look on the label, everything's got sugar in it. It's like, yeah. it's the damnedest thing. Yeah. And even processed meat products, you know, mm-hmm. if you look on the label, not only does it have preservatives in it, fine, it's got salt in it, fine, but you'll find a lot of them have got sugar added. It's like so <laughs> sneaky. It does taste good. Yeah, sugar. it tastes good. Sugar is a, <laughs> sugar is a drug, man. But, you mentioned um, Sour Patch Kids. And I... 
Yeah, I will say that. Funny hey, that's eating an those interesting this thing. episode because I would. I read. I read so that good. if you if you think about um, for insulin um, release, it's Pavlov's dog, you know, uh, phenomenon with insulin. If you think about eating candy. Uh, as example, you already start secreting insulin ahead of the and <laughs> ahead of the ahead of the meal. Really? Gets ready for the storm. Oh, you bet. Doesn't even coming. doesn't even need to wait to get the, to see the glucose in the blood. It's already starting. Wow. Huh. Think so about some people. Cool. How often that's on their mind. Just constantly. Wow. Like, you're you kidding think me. You're much, thinking about it again. Yeah. It's like <laughs> that's what the beta cells. More thinking. insulin's <laughs> going again. So um, you can imagine how the system gets fatigued now. The other interesting thing is the amount. So now if you're eating huge amounts of this stuff because you've been told to, you know, because you're hungry as hell. You know, if and you if can't satisfy fat, yourself without eating fat, yeah, you you're going to be freaking hungry. Because fat's yeah. very filling. Satiating. satiating like yep. The most. Oh. Yeah. But a, even just by process of replacement or displacement, whatever you want to call that, I don't know. what. Mm-hmm. It, if you're removing fat, you've got to get your calories from something else. Yes. So exactly. If it's not strictly protein, which would have a lot of the fat with it, so you're not going to default to eating yeah. your meats to, to fill that. So it's here's going another to carbs. Here's another fascinating aspect of what of this whole thing is this catch twenty two of like the of the law of thermodynamics. I'm not sure if it's law number two or one or two, but there is a law of thermodynamics which talks about mass. So as you get bigger and remember, there's two ways of absorbing fat. One is if you're eating animals and animal fat and butter. That has, like Tommy talked about before, has almost a direct way into your bloodstream. It doesn't involve going to the liver. But the, if you're eating carbohydrates and sugar, that that goes through glucose and then it goes to the liver. And then there's a whole um, lipogenesis uh, or a, what do you call that, de novo lipogenesis mm-hmm. i think in the liver yep where you create the if it's excess fat gets created into triglycerides and stored in your belly and in your hips and on your ass and um as adipose fat right mm-hmm. so the two different pathways we have to think about them as being that that helps people understand why eating animal fat and butter as example is a it doesn't think, go directly to your hips. Yeah, or just any fat. Or so any fat. I, you know, yeah, that's right. the same as um, it poly, could be. You know, where do we get olive fats? oil? Where else? Okay. What are some other common places we get? You know, significant amounts of fat. Yeah, um, it would be a lot of um, nuts and things like that, and seeds. If you're eating seeds, they contain naturally a lot of oils in it. But cooking, would we think about cooking in um, one back when you would have been growing up, Dad? You mentioned cooking in tallow or yeah, butter, or things like that, or lard, yeah, yep. things like that. But now it's all these um, unsaturated, oils. yeah, vegetable oils. And those and have we're getting fat from them. So that a is different type. That's They're that's fatty just a It's just um, a bunch of unsaturated fat, and so okay. unsaturated. There's some more detail to this, but if you think about saturated, it means it can mean room temperature. It's stable or solid. And then unsaturated at room temperature would be more liquid, and so our cooking oils are liquid. They're, they yep. tend to be more unsaturated. But we're so we're saying fat is good, but but, but fat from vegetable oil is not, not good. good. Yep, yep. So there's a, that's the difference: saturated and unsaturated. Besides the fact that they're liquid at room temp, there's something else. Yeah. So why animal? Okay, I don't. Mm-hmm. That's there's some more from my own understanding. Yeah, there's some good data on. On the polyunsaturated fats, poly meaning many, 
Mm-hmm. So it could be the liquid. This is in particular liquid vegetable oils or or seed oils like safflower oil, uh, linoleic acids, um, corn canola oil, corn oil. Mm-hmm. Those um, having deleterious effects on mm-hmm. on um, our cardiovascular disease mm-hmm. versus saturated fat, which is more like animal fat or butter. Mm-hmm. So that's and also very interesting, and that could be one of those mechanisms. And that could be the highly oxidative of these vegetable plant oils. Yeah, um, it's like they react very strong. Really susceptible to oxidation, becoming yeah oxidized during and, cooking and yeah in processing too. Straight oh. out of the bottle, yeah, through the high heat temperature at the plants where they're made, you mm-hmm. know, they can be very. They can be in. I don't. I'm not a, a, a chemist or a biochem. I'm far away from it, but I I understand that that um, oxidized or an oxidative state of these compounds can be very damaging to cells yeah. and tissue. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of the other end of the so spectrum this of the you know the think of people like Paul Saladino, the carnivore MD. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. All he talks about is you know uh, seed oils and that go. sort of thing. So. Um, that's where he's coming from. Yeah. And so anyway, I digress. Mm-hmm. But um, you mentioned a. It, let me know if you have more to. So I'm just rattling off things that I'm no, writing no, down here as that, we go. I mm-hmm. just said you hold your thought because I just okay. said the one last thing was the amount. So now if you're eating, the the thermodi- thermodynamics oh, yes. right the law is the bigger you are, your higher energy requirement. So you get into this terrible feedback loop Mm. of if you start putting on weight even though you're going to the gym and you're doing your best and you're dieting but you can't you can't hold a diet when you're hungry all the time like a it's just miserable like Mm -hmm. drive you to depression which also will give you a heart attack um and b you're just you know you're you're hungry and miserable um and uh, and so then you break your diet and then you feel terrible about yourself and then you start the whole damn thing (laughs) over again so it's it's a horrible state that people are stuck in. But now, as you get bigger, the other thing is you have compensatory gain. So when you finally break your diet, then all of a sudden you <laughs> balloon up. So you lost ten pounds, and then when you break your diet, you gain seventeen. Yeah, it's like damn. <laughs> I know. I need, you know. And now you hate yourself, and you got to do it harder next time. And the same thing happens. But you keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, as you get bigger, that you know the laws of the universe demand that you need more energy for your mass Mm -hmm. so so it just is a vicious cycle so there is a theory out there that uh, there's a hypothesis that actually our bodies are driving you know driving this thing so if you're born and raised or genetically and just happen to be luckily lean you know the hypothesis is that you'll you'll be driven your body will drive you to run so you'll be a runner you know you'll want to move and be active but if you're predisposed to being big through maybe even epigenetics, which is another fascinating talk, but whatever, then you'll mm-hmm. that your body will drive you to be sedentary, and and um and and that whole loop starts both ways. Have a different loop or a different, different yeah, they do yeah. have mm-hmm. a different loop that takes you down a different path. So absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and also even more unfortunately as to why dieting can be so hard once you've mm-hmm. you know gone. Past cross, let's say cross the Rubicon or something like that, where it's point of no return, where it's a little bit. So many people struggle to lose weight if they try to do it. 
Um, leptin is a hormone in our body that shuts off your appetite. And in a metabolically healthy person, we respond really well to leptin. So you'd be satiety. You know, you'd be you'd be um, full. full the antagonist of that is ghrelin, shows hunger. That's not completely relevant here. But if you have more um, adipocytes and bigger adipocytes and more fat in the body, um, for a while, you know, you're consuming a lot of food to end up getting to that point, you're storing a lot of calories. Then there's a point where leptin becomes desensitized in the body too, if you've, if you're overusing it. So the body would be overusing it as you're putting on weight, but you're, as it's overusing it, you become less sensitive Mm -hmm. to the amount that's out there. And then ultimately it leads to this thing where leptin stops having the effect on these overweight people where they're basically always being told they're hungry. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a part of dieting is so hard too, because you become, you're, you're hungry, but you're also, you potentially even more hungry than just a metabolically healthy person that's hungry. Is that where you get into the whole food addiction mm-hmm. type? Yeah, that, where it's literally an addiction. Yeah. You can't yeah, shut off that you, feeling of you being hungry. So this hard is to a fight good, a hormone. Now we're talking about people trying to struggling to get their health and weight under control was maybe a good segue into um, ketosis mm-hmm. because this is really, again, where we're eating animals helps us out a lot. <laughs> Like, ultimately, you know, and we go all the way back to Richard Wrangham, right? Catching fire made us human. We've talked about that before. But it, we, we were made to eat freaking meat and mm-hmm. animals, you know, and fat. And we talked about that in our Parasite um, podcast, too. Like, 1.25 million years ago, I think it was, that, that we can trace back to through our tapeworms where we first started eating meat, you know, with the, with the big cats of Africa, yeah. So we've been at it a long, long time. Um, so we're programmed. Our di- our whole metabolism is to eat meat and fat. And um, and then I also think about it like you know, remember when we butcher sheep at home? Mm-hmm. And you guys help me and stuff. If you think about it, you're out on the savanna, and um, you've finally got an animal down, you know, and killed it with a spear and rocks or whatever. You know, it's a good thing the damn thing's still half alive. You know mm-hmm. when, but but and the, and then the big cats are are following too, catching a whiff of this. Like you got to be quick. Uh-huh. The fastest way to get into an animal, a big ruminant, you know, that you've knocked down, is through the uh, abdominal cavity. It's the thin layer of skin, and it's away from its, you know, horns or whatever. So you enter there. Even the, like all the wild dogs mm-hmm. do it too, because it's the easiest entry through the paunch. Mm-hmm. And then you reach up there through the, you know, you you reach up through past the rumen and, and the guts, and then you break into the chest cavity, which is just the diaphragm muscle. You can punch through it with your fingers, sharp stone, and now you reach, you know, now you've reached the the heart and the liver. And the Plains Indians, you know, we're back to you're talking about bile before, but they famously when they killed the buffalo, you know the. One of the very first things they'd eat is the exactly what I, I talked about. This is going to be gross. They go to liver, <laughs> yep. and then they take the bile, the little pouch of bile. You remember seeing that on the top of the liver? It sits <laughs> on there. Gross. And then they and then they pour the bile onto the liver and eat it raw. Yeah. No, they that was what they did. The delicacy. No. <laughs> Lucky them. That's the. That's the, this is counterproductive to what we're trying to get people. You don't have to do that. No, no, you don't have to do that. But okay, back to thinking about why we were made to eat this stuff. So you reach in there. And for sure, you're going to grab the liver. And for sure, you know, the other thing is around the heart and the kidneys. You remember that when we butchered lambs and sheep, the kidney fat? It's so easy and it's so portable. Is that like... There's uh, a 10-pound 
package of fat yeah. around the kidneys and the heart. Yeah. Is it like suet, like a bird feeder? It's like a bird feeder. Big to picture suet. that if you've, yeah. Yeah. yeah if you're, so you remember that? Taking apart a, you're going to, like a steer, it, there's so much correct. fat there to yeah. get through to well, get into the kidney. Your point, if so you my point is, limited. you imagine now the lions and the wild dogs are all coming because they've been following you on the kill. Like the fastest getaway thing for nutrients is, you know, you hand off that kidney, heart, pelvic fat to the kids. And you know you're grabbing whatever you can quick because you mm-hmm. gotta you know you gotta you you have to evacuate with some nutrients mm-hmm. and for sure that's what they went for mm. yeah and um so it all makes sense you know so we're we were made to eat this stuff and now we've been told not to and so and and now we have to replace it and what do we replace it with we're replacing it with carbohydrates and sugar and which and, again, um, non-essential nutrient. Yeah. No, well, we don't I even need them. Wrote down yeah. here is the whole calories are not created so, equal, like because we've been right. taught the two thousand calorie day mm-hmm. diet, regardless of where you're getting those calories from. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's safe to say that that's two thousand calories from beef and fat is way different than two thousand calories from Lucky Charms and mm-hmm. Skittles cereal, mm-hmm. even though. You know, okay, I ate two thousand calories today. I did my job, uh, yep. and I think that's a little bit of kind of all ties back together with this whole dieting and watching, counting calories but not counting where they're coming from. And yeah, um, the beautiful thing with eating a high meat diet is that I think most people that would do it would recommend you just eat till you're full and yeah. don't worry about it. You know, your yeah. body will take care of itself. It's not something you don't have to diet as much mm-hmm. as just what you're eating. And if you are dieting, it's a good weight loss thing to tap into this um, keto. That's where I was ketotic going. state. You could talk about oh, ketosis, yes. but Jack, and then to let Tommy talk, explain ketosis. But you hit on a good thing. We sh- we shouldn't when you eat beef, like when you go to um, eat a lot of meat and cut out your carbs, because like Tommy said, carbs are not an essential nutrient. You don't need them. But if you go that route, you know you'll have tremendous success with losing weight and and um, building muscle but um and but it's not a diet to your mm-hmm. point jack you can eat as much as you want and in fact you should mm-hmm. um and you sh- you, as long as you eat fat with it mm-hmm. and um so you, you, it's not even a diet it's a it's actually just a different food regimen yeah and then but it's through a process you can shed all these people are shedding 60 80 100 pounds of fat through a process called metabolic ketosis, and maybe you could mm-hmm. explain that, Tommy. Yeah, uh, how you can do even that. Just prior to that, of if our body, it, so I don't want to get too far where we think that glucose isn't important. Glucose is it is yeah. the most important um, source of energy fuel. for the body. It's our fuel. Yeah, it generates our ATP, and that's our energy currency. Um, but where do you? Sorry, before you. Can you get glucose from other places that's, if you're not yep. eating it? Okay. So that's where I was going with okay, that is that ahead. it's, uh, you know, your gluconeogenesis in the body is a way of uh, synthesizing glucose out of, um, you know, let's just take some amino acids would be gluconeogenic and you okay. can drive your glucose So you create your that. own glucose. Yep. yep. But that process, say you're short on glucose and if you're in a starving state, which you kind of sort of try to mimic a little bit with ketosis, but let's say you're short on fuel, your body starts to pull, you know, from the glycogen. So I said, that's the first, the most readily available is your glycogen, the storage Mm -hmm. of glucose in your muscle. Let's say that's gone in a few hours. 
don't know if that's right or not, but for the intents and purposes that let's say that, and then you're left with the long-term storage sources, which is your fat depot, your, your adipocytes. And so if you're out of glucose and you can't, so TCA cycle, Krebs cycle, have you, are you familiar with that? Or have you heard of that from chemistry? Okay. It's our, it's one of the main, um, ways that we generate. It's a, precursor to generating a bunch of ATP, which is our, okay. which is our energy. Anyways, there's a, there's a bunch of different steps in um, the TCA cycle. And if you are short on glucose or if you don't have enough glucose, there's one spot in there, it's called oxaloacetate becomes limiting. And so now you've got all of this fuel, which is built up, but it, fat can't go to glucose. Um, so you can't generate glucose out of fat. You can out of protein. So that's why eating, if you can eat till you're full on steak, it's probably got a good blend of fat and protein. But let's get into ketosis or ketogenic sort of diet would be leaning into that part where you've almost shut down a little bit of your, um, you're, you're meeting your glucose needs through the protein, but now you've got all this fat and that goes into ketosis, which is an offshoot from the TCA cycle. So you have this, the first spot is called acetyl-CoA. And then from there you can make these ketone bodies. Um, so it takes two carbon units at a time. Um, and that, is a way to really, it's another fuel source for the body. It's a non-glucose fuel for the body that, okay, the brain's preferred energy is, or it's what it would tap into first is glucose, but then once glucose is limiting, okay, ketone bodies can serve that purpose. They enter, each cell has the ability to do TCA cycle and generate the energy there and um, in the mitochondria. And so ketones kind of fill that void, so it's fat. And so if you're burning your fat for energy, it would likely, it has to be through this beta oxidation pathway, which is, okay, if you look at a fatty acid, it might have 18 carbons. And each one of those can go into two carbon units at a time, can go to acetyl-CoA. And then that can go into these ketone bodies, which uh, people maybe have heard of acetoacetate or beta-hydroxybutyrate. Those would be our two. Um, If you've way overdone it, you get acetone. Acetone's kind of toxic. It's not great, but you can smell it on someone's breath if they're really ketotic. Is that what keto breath is? Yeah. Yeah, it'd be kind of sweet, sweet, sour. Sickly. Yeah. yeah. It's like spoiled milk or something like mm-hmm. that. kind of smells like that. But it happens. Is, does it eventually regulate it? Yeah. So if you're doing it, that's when you get really, really far. Like if your ketone bodies in the blood are like 10 times higher than what they would be during normal um, keto practices. Um, but say you're just eating fat, it would yeah, it would go two carbon units at a time to burning that fat through this alternative pathway where you still get energy out of it. Um, and that's so point being, if you're trying to lose weight, you burn your fat and by eating more fat, it actually fuels the system. It's, which is a little bit counterintuitive. So if you're fat and you're trying to lose weight and you're doing this fat and protein diet, the way to really double down on it would be to keep your systems running. That's burning its endogenous supply of fat while providing the glucose that's needed for other functions through the so protein. eating and fat so, yeah. to lose your fat. Yes, yeah. which is completely counterintuitive, yeah, but like, it fires up that system. Uh, it's the opposite of everything yeah. that we've been told. But yeah, the right. other part of this that we kind of so miss, good. and it's not really today's talk, but all the other good things that are in meat too. You know, oh, yeah. The, uh, nutrients. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, Vitamins, it's, nutrients. It's just, it's dense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, uh, dense. that's maybe a, I don't know, Probably a good, I don't know, is that enough on the ketosis? Well, I think it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I think the yeah. take home message is there's, there's a pathway, a metabolic pathway that's healthy and that will allow you to um, eat a lot of meat and fat and burn 
get rid of some of your visceral or abdominal fat mm-hmm. right? and um and and not be hungry so you don't even think of it as a diet so that's like you can see why it's becoming so popular as people are finally getting educated and through podcasts has been you know yep. and some really high profile people like Joe Rogan like if, imagine how many millions Joe Rogan's helped just by um talking about it and being yeah. an example of it like yeah cuz he started like Right. Two months ago, it seems like he's been on his, or maybe three months ago now, and he's talked about it pretty yeah. frequently. Or even Probably carnivore. You know, carnivore, yeah. like Sean Baker. Yeah. You know, he's 56, 57 years old, and he's like, he's just absolutely ripped. <laughs> oh, now he's seven years, I think, seven years only eating beef. It's wow. interesting. The, I haven't, I, like, I can't speak from experience because I've never. seen lift like a train, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like the whole freaking train. <laughs> Built like a train. Go ahead, Jack. I was gonna say the um, I can't speak from experience because I haven't done a true like carnivore diet long enough right. to get to this point. Because it's, I mean, I I love other foods too, so it's impossible for me. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing you mentioned earlier, how much of our um, brain relies on uh, um, cholesterol, and the the mm-hmm. common theme that uh, I heard Lex Friedman talk about it. He doesn't do a strict carnivore diet, but he says that invariably he's, I'm going to misquote him, but basically he's his sharpest mentally, you know, when he's eating a high protein, high fat diet, Mm -hmm. you hear that same story over and over. So not even the physical thing, but the mental acuity Mm -hmm. and sharpness and no fogginess. Um, you know, it's not just one person saying it. It's an interesting kind of side benefit is like you get your health in order, but also you get smarter Yep. And there's got to be something to that with the, the carbs and the, sorry, the carbs, the cholesterol. But also the carbs. There's there's something there for sure. And I don't know if I can nail it or not. But a, a part that kind of falls in line with this a little bit, we think about cholesterol in, as such a, a bad thing. But we forgot to say it at the beginning, diet really doesn't influence like overall cholesterol as much as we think it does. It's a really minor contributor to it. Cholesterol biosynthesis is mm-hmm. regulated by diet. But we're going to make the cholesterol we need. Um but I think part of that fogginess comes from that, I don't know, I can't be more scientific because I don't know it super well, but like that sleepiness thing that you get, mm-hmm. you just kind of get, it's, it's just too much. You're inundated with sugar and your body's not allowing you to focus kind of on what you what you ought to, I guess. Um, yes. But the, yeah, so I, I think you're completely yeah, correct I mean, on the cholesterol and the brain anything, function. More so and, just an uh, interesting piece that I've heard repeated. The, the Jordan Rogan part. also mentions yeah, that. It's like you yes, like feels sharper. Super brain. Yeah. yeah. Jordan. Yeah. yeah. The other part of this sort of diet is that you, it's also the best way to, so insulin resistance is reversible um, with time and effort and dietary and lifestyle changes. And so this is a good way to, oh. if you are, if ho- you're already, if you've put on a lot of weight and you know you're probably a little bit insulin resistant, um, yeah, it's it's not it's not too late. Too late? No, it's too late. Once your beta cells, sure. you know, crap out, is that then it's two? done. That's type two diabetes. But prior to that, my understanding is any time prior to that, it still is somewhat reversible. Um, and the earlier you catch it, the better, obviously. So a good way to catch that, and uh, again, insulin highly correlated to carbohydrates. So if you remove the carbs, you naturally will allow the body to become resensitized to its insulin. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that can kind of be restored too through that. So it's another reason to not lean so heavily into this carbohydrate diet that's been 
pushed on us and put on our plates for yeah, 70 well, it's years. clearly not working. Yeah, know. no, right. Like the other, you know. if people are listening and hearing like, oh, they're telling me we have to do the carnivore diet, that, I mean, that's not, personally, that's not what I'm, I don't think that's realistic for the, I think the takeaway here is what's making up the the core substance of your diet. Like I, I love cereal and it's, I know that it's not a healthy thing, but uh-uh, you said it's better than red meat at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, of exactly. Lucky charms. <laughs> but but it's daunting to think like if, oh, to get healthy, I have to eliminate everything except meat and eggs. You know, maybe that's the the most extreme version. But yeah. I mm-hmm. think that just general repositioning of where animal products are in your diet um, and not getting so exclusionary oh. is a great start. Yeah. Yes. To have a meat, like significant health shifts, I think, if if you took that step. Yeah. If, especially the if general you, public. Especially if you keep ice cream in. We've yeah. I, I looked yeah, yeah. into that a this little was bit. Good news. Uh, yeah, ice it. cream and dark chocolate. Yeah. Both dark chocolate. They both actually seem like if well, dark chocolate is pretty much objectively good. Like there are uh-huh. some really pretty well documented things. The the yeah. the ice cream one is it's still um I should say this, it kinda goes back to everything we've talked about. All of these huge amount of human studies, it's all epidemiology. So it's no, it, it's really hard to get, you know, controlled, replicated, mm-hmm. randomized trials with humans that all have a different life and a different upbringing, different genetics and different environment. It, it's all different. And so epidemiology is really one. It's really hard because there's. Com- yeah, and they all com- lie on their surveys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Doesn't help>. They do. <laughs> For sure they do. Yeah. But that's part of this whole story of getting the cholesterol thing wrong there's so many confounding variables Terrible. and um most of it's association it's a lot of association like, yeah, yeah everyone would think that there that there must be a you know a, a thousand studies showing uh unequivocally r- uh, randomized controlled studies showing unequivocally that cholesterol or you know uh uh, low-density LDL, the bad cholesterol, causes cardiovascular disease. You would think that, but there isn't. There isn't like a damn single study out there. But yeah. you think, how could that be? That, that, that can't how, be. How can that yeah. be? Yeah, because no. the, the, they built the narrative up around association, well, originally cherry-picking data, but then afterwards they... They're not. They're not looking at hard outcomes like did you die or did you have a heart attack or did you have a stroke. A lot of the like the statin work is just looking at did it lower cholesterol, mm. <laughs> and yeah. then they infer. Of course, it lowers cholesterol. Then they infer that well, that means you'll have lower heart attack risk. You mm-hmm. know, better cardiovascular health, lower hazards, odds, you know, yeah. ratio, things like that. So association and causation. I like it. It's like. It's like you're at the farm and 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 you got the and you're moving the cattle and the damn one of the steers or a bull jumps over the gate but didn't quite jump over the gate you know and squash down the top metal bar of the gate you can imagine as he scrambles over it mm-hmm. and Jimmy's like fuck he wrecked the <laughs> gate you know then Bobby comes wandering along you know like three minutes later and sees a crow sitting in that in that crushed bar of the gate. It's a heavy the ball's long gone, and then, <laughs> and then Bobby's like, "Fuck, that's a heavy crow." <laughs> so, so this is our problem with association versus causation. Yeah, you know, that's a good visual. It's a, and that's what's happened with all this data. It's Bobby's all, a bit slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bobby's <laughs> a wee bit slow on the uptake. <laughs>
<laughs> but, but Jimmy was right on. But back to association. So this isn't a definitive thing, but the ice cream piece can kind of be um, parsed out. There's been a number of these epidemiological studies with a lot of people that have shown that these low-fat dairy products and dairy, you know, yogurt has been touted as kind of the, if you're going to have dairy, yogurt's the one to go with. It's kind of been put up on this pedestal. Mm. But after looking into it now a little bit, in a lot of these studies where that conclusion has been there, ice cream has also been there, hmm. but it's really hard to explain. It goes against what a lot of these medical doctors would like to to highlight. And so the from my reading, not ready to conclude that ice cream's definitely good for you, but a couple of points that were interesting is it has a lower glycemic index than like uh, than rice. Mm. And so it depends what you're displacing from your diet. Hmm. So it does it's correlated or it's been, you know, shown to have associations with lowering your insulin resistance or improving your sensitivity, um, lowering your risk for uh, diabetes. Um, and so it maybe it's because you are displacing something that is more glycemic with something slightly less. It hmm. might be something like that. Or there's a lot of other parts of ice cream that we don't really think about, like the important fats and stuff like that in there. But nonetheless, it's a little bit interesting that, yeah. okay, the ice cream we would just think is really, really bad, but there's so, worse things out there that we eat every day that have been told to us that are good too. So like my rice. Oreo and brownie blizzard is actually really good for me. I would double down on it. Yeah, eat a yeah. lot more. No, it's crazy <laughs> that if you put Oreos and brownies in the ice cream, they become really good for you. I love that's the takeaway. <laughs> it's magic. Heck yeah. And yeah. I'm going after this podcast. <laughs> Bloody good news, huh? We're full of good news. Good thing we got... Eat beef, eat ice cream, eat butter. butter. Yeah. And good thing trans fats are now banned and removed from the from the diet. Yeah, because so those uh, are actually... They were pushing you that people to eat trans fats. Yeah, what yeah. was that? You What are trans fats exactly? Yeah, so it's it comes down to the confirmation of fat or a fatty acid itself. So there's two confirmations. They're called cis or they're called trans. And so the um, fatty acid backbone is littered with hydrogens all along it the more hydrogens the more saturated and so these things that have double bonds um, they would typically mean that there can be a cis conformation would be the normal way for the hydrogens to be associated around that double bond so if you can picture it if you have a carbon unit right here if it's just carbon on its own there could be four hydrogens on each side of it and your carbons are connected to each other say it's the end one, there'd be one, two, and three, and then a bond to the next carbon, and now you've got one and one, and all the way down it's balanced by that, except for when you get to the double bond, which makes them unsaturated, that's where a kink happens because you have cis conformation, means two hydrogens sit on top, so you've got this bend, so it's a fatty acid that has a kink in it because of that double bond and cis conformation of hydrogens that push down. Mm. So a trans one is chemically identically the same. You'd count the carbons, you'd count everything on it, it'd be identical to an unsaturated fat um, of the same conformation, except for it has a trans conformation where one hydrogen is now on the bottom and one is on the top. So mm -hmm. it keeps it in a straight line, even though there's oh. a double bond there. So everything's so the it, same, but it, different arrangement. And then from there, why it has so many negative health impacts is more like theoretical or mm -hmm. it's not completely actually known, I don't think, but it, it, fit, it sits into cell walls differently because it doesn't have the compact nature of it. It, it just becomes a different molecule. Um, but so what does that do in our health? Yep. Yeah, it's just really highly correlated with, um, heart disease, cardiovascular disease, okay. coronary heart 
Um, it's just a, and it's been banned in a lot of in the U.S. in 2015. It was removed from mm-hmm. industrial trans. Probably has a way fat. of damaging our endothelial um, endothelium, the the blood vessel lining, yeah. the artery linings. Yeah, I bet it. I bet that's I bet part that's of it. Where and then more plaque. Maybe it's more. Maybe it has some oxidative, mm-hmm. you know, property there, da- damaging and then causing a. Um, Causing a, a lesion or a plaque, right? Um, at, in inside the the artery wall, yeah. Which, which leads it could us be. to which leads us to a very interesting um, hypothesis on because we've talked about you know why cholesterol is a null hypothesis for causing cardiovascular disease, and uh, saturated fats is a null hypothesis for. Cardiovascular mm-hmm. disease, and we'll put a lot of notes. Uh, we have lots of papers. If anyone wants to um, review all these uh, studies, we'll make them available. Uh, yeah, you know, Jack will at the end of the podcast too. But, but there's a fascinating. Um, I call it like the the ring that binds all rings from Lord of the Rings, right? <laughs> um, because we we need we need a hypothesis that that um gathers everything together and makes and that cradles everything everything can be nested in one hypothesis that has a and this happens to be from this guy Malcolm Kendrick who's a um been researching cardiovascular disease for 30 years and just mm-hmm. wrote this great book called The Clot Thickens anyway he proposes an alternative um hypothesis where where all cardiovascular disease, uh, atherosclerosis, um, can be explained by um, clotting at the at the um, clot formations, which progress to plaque formations inside the uh, arter- arterial wall, the mm-hmm. endothelium, mm-hmm. and um, absolutely fascinating. Um, to listen and read, um, and he's building on 150 years of work. 150 years ago, it was it was um, this theory of thrombosis. They call it the thrombogenic uh, hypothesis. Thrombosis means um, clotting, blood mm-hmm. clotting, and um, it was already proposed 150 years ago uh, as the as the um, mechanism for heart attacks and 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 uh heart failure hmm. so it's an old and then it, it had been touched on you know decades after decades after decades as but this is way before anyone knew anything about fat metabolism or cholesterol or lipoproteins you know but mm-hmm. they had already figured it out so he picked up on it and he's put a lot of pieces together and, and more and more cardiologists and researchers are now on board with it it's absolutely fantastic and in a nutshell, what it says is that it's not cholesterol, it's not saturated fats. What the problem is, it's it's anything that insults the endothelium. And an endothelium is the, if you can picture our, our arteries, because you only get blood clots and you only get atherosclerosis in arteries. It's fascinating. You don't get it in veins. And you don't get it in our pulm- pulmonary, which is our we have two different blood systems in our body. We have our circulatory system of blood, and then we have our pulmonary system, which is in our lungs. Um, and then we have our arteries, and then we have our veins. And arteries are 
are, are um, where all the atherosclerosis, all the heart, all the cardiovascular events take place, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's only in the big arteries, mm-hmm. and it's in the branches of them where they bifurcated, you know, where they branch off like on a tree. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so the theory goes, like, that's fascinating. Someone should answer that question, why we don't have it in the veins. Um, why we don't, because it's, you know, you'd have the same LDL, you'd have the same number of platelets, you'd have the same yeah. red blood cells. And Tommy, you had a nice theory on that, a well, nice hypothesis I on think it. where you're heading with this is part of this mm-hmm. theory comes down to, okay, anything that can interfere with endothelial yeah. um, Disrupt allows for disruption and then allows for, a, you know, a picture of a river with a little hitch in it now and there's stuff that can accumulate behind that as water's flowing down it. Mm-hmm. Um, oxidized you know, radical reactive oxygen species, things like that, or th- anything that's oxidized that now becomes highly interactive with and destructive to cell walls, um, you know, can lead to that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. arteries are where the oxygen, that's oxygenated blood, uh, veins are coming back once it's already dropped the oxygen. And so maybe there's more oxidation that happens in the arteries yeah. and then there you can have oxidized Fantastic. things that can interact with the cell or yeah. with the endothelial. That's really clever. And maybe, th- but I don't know th- if that's right. No, but I, but, <laughs> but we your, do know your that. theory. That's <laughs> like we're talking s- two minutes before this podcast. You guys, saw, yeah, you guys, guys figured it, out heart guys attack. Goddamn genius! <laughs> no, but really, we know that free radicals are you know cause tremendous damage to our cells, and mm-hmm. that's why we have you know they're tightly regulated. We have whole systems that are devoted to um, squelching mm-hmm. you know, free radicals, which are antioxidant <laughs> systems. Yeah. So free radicals are when you when you lose an electron, I think, off a. Um, yep. And it becomes imbalanced and yeah, imbalanced yeah. and agitated like hell, and they bounce around and damage the hell out of things, especially cell membranes. If you don't have enough antioxidants, like you'd be familiar with that, I think, Jack, and anyone listening, you you know, foods that are have high levels of antioxidants in it. 100% broadcast that they have antioxidants in it because it's a, they're very important for this reason. There's tons of oxidation that's happening in the body all the time. And if it gets out of balance with its antioxidants, like vitamin C is a really good one, or glutathione's the main one that happens to loan its... It, they loan their electron to allow that reactive oxygen species or the thing that's in imbalance to now be balanced and stop this chain of mm. events that occur. If it And so anyways, if they get out of balance... It's a chain reaction. It goes down the line of everything becomes disrupted. Um, They're stealing from each other. Yeah, everything. Everyone's stealing from its neighbor. And now you've got all these this DNA damage, protein synthesis damage, and then you've got cell wall damage. Um, and so cell that's membrane, part cell walls of, are in plants. Oh yeah, <laughs> cell <laughs> membrane. Whatever. <laughs> I'm just being smartass. But anyway, back to this theory, the thrombogenic theory. I, I think it's fascinating because it. It puts squares a lot of things for me, um, but one of them, and a nice analogy is a way to think about it uh, in a broad sense. It's like you have all of these things that could cause a cardiovascular disease, like you know we've been talking diabetes, obesity. We've talked about reactive oxygen species, free radicals damage. We've talked about um, smoking, cigarettes. You know, clearly causes your cardiovascular disease. There's Anyway, on and on and on. It's a bit like a car that's got a new paint job. And um, and the nemesis of all cars is rust. 
And um, so there's a hundred different ways you can chip the paint off your new car, right? You know, someone mm-hmm. scratches it with a Name them all, all hundred. Shoot it with an ear. You shoot it with an ear rifle. Scratch it with a paper bowl jumps on it. Scratch it with a screwdriver. Right. Scratch it with a drill bit. Dog bites it. Scratch it with a pop can. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> There's lot hit the neighbor's cat. <laughs> Back over it again. Yeah. Back over the neighbor's cat. Hundred ways on, to scratch though. the car. Hundred ways. There's a lot, lot of ways to scratch the car to get the rust started. But once, once it scratched the paint off the car, now you have the same process. No matter how that started, it's the same process. It's turtles all the way down. It's oxidation of that metal rust the, mm-hmm. for the rest of the journey. And the thrombogenic um, hypothesis is the same. Is once you damage the endothelial cell that that is the liner lining of your artery. It doesn't matter how the hell you damaged it. Now you have the same process explains everything towards a heart attack or a cardiovascular mm-hmm. disease. It's like beautiful because it, it's like, it, it's like well, it's the ring that binds all rings, you know. It's, it, mm-hmm. it, it brings everything together in an, in an explainable. Gives it a starting point. Yeah, and it, yeah. and it has science. I mean, it has studies like at every step of the way. So, And part of that, and my cholesterol has been caught up in that is because if you do take a plaque sample, there is going to be yeah. cholesterol there. Maybe you want but to explain again, what plaque is. Because yeah. even people that go to their doctors, doctor says, oh, you're going to have a plaque buildup or, you know, mm-hmm. and that's going to kill you. Well, what is plaque? You know, just explain what, what we're talking about with plaque. Yeah. I don't know exactly what goes into plaque. I just know that it's mm-hmm. a, you know, there's cholesterol to be part of it, but it's a buildup of yeah. cells and tissue that would pile on top of each other. But it's it can be this situation where if there's an damage to it, there's damage to the endothelial. Now we've got recruitment of, let's say, macrophages can come there. And then there's a rush of other cells that come, monocytes. Mm-hmm. And now you've got this buildup that happens. And then you've got the... Um, the thrombosis or the, the clotting that happens seals that over, and now you've got a protruding bit that looks like it's completely, you know, it's healed on the mm-hmm. on the lumen side or the in the blood side of the of the vessel, but that can keep, like you were mentioning, building on top of each other and more and more, and it becomes a protruding sort of piece in the in the artery. Yeah, yeah. A good way to think of plaque is, uh, as I've learned, is to think of it like a scab. You cut your hand. The same wound healing that's happening. In your in your artery with uh, mm-hmm. thromb- thrombosis, like blood clotting, you got to stop the blood bleeding first, and that's where you have this uh, these um, metallo uh, matrix proteins come arrive, signaling stuff and fibrinogen, which is a fiber to bind up the wound, um, and then the gluey substances of platelets, you know, which are clotting agents, they arrive, <laughs> and then like you said, macrophage monocytes like. And cholesterol is all comes, you know, to to stop that wound and stop leaking. So it's like a scab. But on the scab on the surface of our skin, you know, after a week or so or two weeks, you have enough cells grow up underneath it as the scab heals and then it pops off. Well, you think about that in your blood vessels. There are because in our in our arteries, um, our blood vessels, the endothelium is only one cell thick. Like the skin on my hand now, the dermis here is like, I think in human skin is like 14 cells thick or 18 cell layers thick. So it's much, much deeper. So inside your, your arteries, only one cell. 
So they can't grow up from underneath new cells to pop off the, the, the scab, as you, as example. Uh, if it did, you know, then you would have a heart attack for sure. As soon as mm -hmm. the scab popped off, it would block your aorta and you'd be dead in minutes. So what happens is they, 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 they've learned that produced in the bone marrow and released in your blood are progenitor cells for endothelium, endothelial progenitor cells. They're like um, daughter cells, and if you so if you damage your um, if you damage your the cell wall of your artery um, to re you have the clotting the blood clot you can picture a big red glob of gooey and fiber to stop the bleeding, and then that gets encapsulated by these progenitor cells overlap that clot. And now you have a functional endothelial wall again, mm -hmm. but the clot remains underneath. And then you have more, now it protrudes a little bit just by uh, expansion, you know, pressing on the artery. And if you have another insult there, you layer it again, another clot, and then another layer of endothelial cells. Mm -hmm. And then you have another and another, and now you're building up this plaque. And so this plaque over time, over numerous insults to a whole area or a focal point in your artery, is what builds up um, this obstruction in your arteries mm -hmm. and, um, and also can... But an important part of that is that you will find cholesterol there because oh, cells contain sure cholesterol. And so it's always been, if you, if you do have blockage in an artery and you mm -hmm. take a sample, okay, there's going to be some... There will be cholesterol there, and that's back to yeah. causation versus association. Yeah. So then you, you're exactly right. So now you've got cholesterol there, and classically they're called, um, I've learned that they're called um, cholesterol, uh, cholesterol crystals mm. are, are in these thrombos, uh, thromb, thrombosis, in these um, clots, uh, plaque clots. And these crystals can only come from pure cholesterol. They can't come from LDL. Um, because LDL is in a, cholesterol is in a lipoprotein, and um, crystals can only be made from pure purity, and um, and so they've found now that they're that these the cholesterols that's in the wound that's in the, the clot is coming from red blood cells, which have a have a, which are the singularly highest uh, tissue in your body for um, pure cholesterol. Red blood cells. Is this where you've used the? Um, Isn't that amazing? The, I yeah. just love it. Like, Is this bam. where you've used the firefighter analogy? Yep. Very good. You or share that. Oh, it's, it's perfect. Fun, but you love that, firefighters. Yeah. <laughs> Calendars. <laughs> um, uh, no, I so say you. I think the analogy is like, you know, the cholesterol is like the firefighter is arriving at the scene, mm -hmm. you know, to help repair the situation. But instead, we're you know blaming them on starting the fire um, when it's in mm -hmm. fact the opposite. Uh, obviously, yeah, they're yeah. always there when there's like a fire. There's always they start it exactly. Well, yeah. yeah, you know it, but you tell it. I no, you did it, it good. You did it good. But every time there's a fire, there's firefighters, so exactly. you must have started it. Yeah, it's the and same so phenomenon as um they call it yellow fingers. You know, is that with um yellow fingers and that's when you're really um, good at gardening, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's yellow fingers and um, it's from smoking cigarettes and lung cancer. <laughs> oh, yeah, it actually—that's <laughs> it. I was guessing. 
So, you know, if well, that one's every time you correct, got though, isn't it? If you got you got lung cancer, you got yellow fingers. Yeah. From, but it's from smoking, cigarettes, you know, they oh, give you I the see. yellow yeah. fingers. It's, it's not, not the yellow fingers. It's not the themselves. yellow fingers giving you lung cancer. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. the same sort of uh, epiphenomenon. Yeah. Mm. I like that firefighter. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, it and does. so I think kind of to to round it out, we've yeah. covered a lot here, but Yeah. We hope the goal here was to give some comfort in keeping meat and, and red meat on the on the dinner table. Yeah. Um, and it's not the, and you know, more specifically, cholesterol isn't, um, as far as we can tell, and as far as a lot of the, the research go to show, it's nowhere near the demon that it's portrayed to be um, and has been talked about for years and years. It's uh, And so we we wanted to tackle that story here because we, one, we love eating meat and eating beef mm-hmm. and seems like it's been a, uh, there's a lot of positive things that come from it. Um, and as far as health outcomes and it's, uh, it's kind of catching a little bit more attention these days, this sort of, uh, mm-hmm. high fat protein sort of diet. And so we wanted to do our part to, you know, chime in that we think it's okay to, and actually Absolutely. good for you to keep eating the meat. Well, that's yeah. one to bring it back to the beginning of this whole narrative for 70 years, that's one difference now is that people do have access to um, information outside of the official narrative, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's great science independent, you know, whatever else outlets you can find this. And so it is becoming, you no longer have to rely on the government. Okay. Yeah. They're still telling us to eat um, whatever fruit loops above beef, but you know, there's a lot of, other information out there you can now seek. So that's um, mm-hmm. a positive outcome. There's one final point I kind of forgot to make, but there's mm-hmm. one paper that I was reading that it included a really interesting part of it. Um, so again, back to epidemiology, these huge amounts of confounding variables, things like that. Some might show some association slightly, you know, that meat could lead to mm-hmm. X outcome and might show this outcome over here. But so even even let's say in the worst case scenario, there is the most subtle of subtle negative outcomes somehow that come from this. This paper tackled the part of human preference too that there is mm-hmm. an undeniable fact that people that like to eat meat, they really actually enjoy that part of it. It would be hard for them to give up the joy that comes from eating that meat too. And so mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of an interesting yeah. part of a paper is that another angle is like, okay, even if there was a tiny which I don't even think that's there and it doesn't seem like it is there, but let's say there was one paper that showed that meat leads to, you know, a tiny increase in cancer. I don't know what it would be. Is it, is who would take the risk if, uh, you know, if it's so small or if you had to give up the meat, it seemed like this paper is making the point that a lot of people would keep it in there if the improvements or outcomes aren't actually drastically different. Yeah. So. Yeah, they go, it's actually, um, we like to eat it, and people that eat yeah, it, yeah, and the like people it. enjoy it, which often is not the case that the the thing you want to and like to eat is maybe actually. a ribeye re- reduces some of your stress from that day, and then heart attacks decrease from your not being stressed now. <laughs> Damn right. Damn and then right. Go get that blizzard. And I think the greatest <laughs> paradox of all is, you know, is becoming more clear that even that cholesterol might end up being, um, and there is a bunch of data to to to, to that shows it to be. Uh, protective you know wouldn't that be the absolute irony <laughs> after 70 years of of shoveling us with a different narrative that cholesterol is actually protective for all case mortality and for your health so 
Yeah. Anyway, it's been really a fascinating. There's so much to learn, like um, Malcolm Kendrick, who I mentioned with uh, the clot thickens, and the other. You have another great book there called uh, the Great um, Cholesterol Myth. The Great Cholesterol Myth that we're both just finished reading, and in and the authors of both of these books, by their own admission, say they, you know, they only know a fraction of the. There's only a fraction of the knowledge that's known. These is so fascinating the the the, the level of um, complexity and things to learn at least anyway. And we need to keep learning. To your point, Jack, we we don't have to be held hostage by Ansel Keys, you know, anymore. We can, if you have some initiative, you can, you know, you can learn a lot through different alternative outlets now and mm-hmm. and um there's a lot of hope you know for good health and much better lifestyle for people i think that have been struggling like hell with obesity and type 2 diabetes or whatever to reverse it now and you know to recap to regain a, a vigorous healthy life mm-hmm. it's it's it actually is possible yeah and um and god you know god help anyone who with their health journey you know so keep eating that meat and keep eating beef yeah baby (laughs) all right thanks brothers thank you thanks guys been tremendous